Well, how are y'all doing? If you, if you were to ask me how I'm doing, my answer is honest. I'm great. Yes. I really am. Yes. We're going to talk today a lot about cancer and God's glory. But before we get into our passage this morning, I want to turn you to James chapter 1. Go to James chapter 1. This will just be the foundation behind everything we're going to be looking at this morning. James chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I don't know if you caught that yet or not, but without trials, you won't have everything that you, God wants for you to experience in your relationship with him. And so when this news came, I can honestly tell you, nothing changed. My attitude toward who Jesus is, is the same as it was pre-cancer diagnosis. But I want to talk to you about how we respond to trials today from a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 11. I cannot wait to show you some of the many, many things that are in this passage. Actually, to be honest with you, there's so much here, there's not enough time to pull it all out. But starting in Matthew chapter 11, I want to read to you from verses 1 through 11. And we'll see what God wants to show us this morning from this passage. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen none, no one, greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Father, as we go into this passage this morning, I thank you for the fact that even though my heart right now is full of so much that I want to say, you are the one who's going to be talking today and not me. And that you're the one that's going to be communicating your truth. And so, Lord, I just surrender once, anew, uh, once again this morning, afresh and anew, to the power of your spirit and the, the, the power of your word to just do what you want to do this morning. And thank you for what you're going to do because as Titus has already just prayed, you are good. This is going to be a great day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just jump right into it. John the Baptist had questions about Jesus. I mean, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, John was a relative of Jesus. Not only that, he was the one who said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was also the one who says, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes. He's the one that said, I wouldn't have known who he was except the Spirit who sent me. The one who sent me to preach told me the one, when you see the Spirit come down on him, that's the one. Baptize him. That's the same John that said, he must increase and I must decrease. If anybody knew who Jesus was, it was John the Baptist. Yet now John is in prison, and as you see in our passage, he's heard some of the things that Jesus was doing, heard about what Jesus was doing, 
And it's not lining up with what he thought Jesus was going to do. Has anybody had Jesus act in your life in ways that you didn't expect or even like? John the Baptist is now sitting in prison and he's heard some of these things that Jesus is doing and it's not lining up with what he thought Jesus was going to do. And it's caused him to question whether or not Jesus really is the one, really is the Messiah that God was using him to preach that was coming. Now, before we get to Jesus' answer to John, I want to deal with Jesus' attitude toward John in the process first. If you remember, as we read here in verses 7 and following, Jesus turns now back to the crowd that he's teaching. Now, remember, John had sent some of his disciples from the prison to go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Now, because Jesus was standing in front of a group of people and teaching at the time that this happened, all those people heard John's disciples ask this question, and now John looks a little wishy-washy, doesn't he? And Jesus turns back to the crowd after he sends the disciples, John's disciples back with his answer. He turns to the crowd and he says, let me ask you a couple questions. Did you go out into the wilderness to hear preaching from a reed that swayed by the wind? He said, uh, did you go out into the wilderness to see someone dressed in soft clothing? No, you went out to see a prophet. And let me tell you, of men born of women, none has risen greater than John the Baptist. Don't miss this, folks. For those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ, when we have some of our lowest times where we struggle and we question, when John said the lowest thing he ever said about Jesus, Jesus said the greatest thing he ever said about John. And if you look through the scriptures, you'll know that for those of us who are in Christ, who are being held by God himself, keeping our salvation up in heaven, holding on to us and sealing us by his spirit, in those times when you may doubt and question, God's not mad at you, but he's wanting the trial to accomplish its purpose to make you full and complete and lacking nothing. You should actually embrace the trials when they come. Don't think that God's mad at you. Now, the reason John was having some issues, though, was because the Spirit of God had been preaching through John earlier, and John had known that God was describing Jesus through him as he was preaching, but what Jesus was doing now didn't match up with what he had preached. Go back to John chapter 3. Let me show you. I mean, sorry, Matthew, Matthew chapter uh, 3. And let me show you what I'm talking about. In Matthew chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 12. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. This was his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt, and around his waist his food was, a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his, to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, 
whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So as John was preaching under the control of the Spirit, he was describing the Messiah to come. And he said, let me just describe this guy to you. When he comes, the axe is going to be laid to the root of the tree. He's going to have his winnowing fork in his hand. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And he's going to come in judgment. And he's going to clear, he's going to clean house. But now John's in prison. And this one that he thought was the Messiah to come, that the Spirit had showed him, that was the one. That's why he baptized him. He's now hearing that Jesus is being nice. He's teaching people and he's healing people and he's being friends of sinners. And so Jesus is not looking the way he thought he would. He's not acting the way he thought he was going to act. And it's caused him to have a little problem. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus and he asks them, has them ask him, are you the one or should we look for somebody else? Now, Jesus's response is really interesting. Could he have just said, yes, I am? By the way, that was a question. You forgot. If I ask a question, you don't answer, you're going to be late to lunch, not my fault. So could Jesus have said, yes, I, I am the one? Yeah, but, you sounded hungry when you answered that one. So you, listen to how he answers. Go back to Matthew chapter 11. Look at what he says. Jesus answered them. He said, you go and tell John what you hear and see. I love this. The scripture said that John had heard what Jesus was doing. Jesus says, you go back and tell John not only what you've heard, but what you see. Let me just take a second to chase that. A lot of people believe because of what they heard. It's a big difference between believing in just what you've heard, but also believing between what you've heard and what you've experienced. He says, you go back and tell John what you hear and see. And then he says this, he goes, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the dead are being raised, those with leprosy are being cured. And then he says an interesting thing, and, a good, and the good news is being preached to the poor. In other words, what Jesus said was, you go back and tell John that you're seeing the miraculous power of God as people are being healed and raised from the dead and God's demonstrating his power on this earth. But not only that, the good news is being preached to the poor. Go back with me to Isaiah 61 because John would have known full well what Jesus meant when he said the good news is being preached to the poor. poor." In, In Isaiah 61... Look at verse 1, a very familiar passage about the coming Messiah. Jesus himself actually read from it later on in his own hometown of Nazareth and said that it was referring to him. In Isaiah 61, look what it says. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So what Jesus did was, he said, you go back and tell John that I am doing what the scripture said I was going to do. Even though God spoke through you about the day of judgment and the time that I'm going to be coming back to the earth and I'm going to be separating the wheat from the chaff, 
even though that was true, the scripture also talked about this time period and what I was going to be doing in this time period, and I'm doing everything the scripture said I would be doing right now. And I love to paraphrase. I got this from Vance Havner when he preached on this passage. He preached, his wife died at 2.15 on a Sunday morning, and he preached at 11. And he preached from this passage, and he said that what Jesus told John was this, everything's right on schedule. And folks, that's been my attitude when I've responded and how I've responded to this news of the cancer in my body. Because of who God is and because of the fact that I believe in his sovereignty, because I understand and believe the scriptures that say that every day ordained for me was written in his book before one of them came to be. Because once I put myself in Christ, Satan can do nothing to me without my father's permission and he controls everything for my good. When I found out that I had cancer, nothing changed. Everything is right on schedule. Let me tell you how awesome God is when it comes to this schedule. I was supposed to be preaching in Maryland right now. Now you say, Jim, did your cancer change the preaching? No. Actually, I was booked two years ago to be preaching this past weekend through today in Maryland. A man read my book. He's heading, heading up this conference that they were going to have up there in Maryland. And he said he wanted me to be the keynote speaker for their conference on Friday night. He wanted me to be one of the workshop leaders on Saturday and then preach in this church on Sunday. And he booked me two years ago for this week. For the last two years, as churches have called and said, hey, would you be able to come and preach for us? If they picked, tried to get those dates, I'd say, no, sorry, those dates are reserved. That's already been taken. But a week ago tonight, I got a phone call from that man saying, I'm really sorry. I hate to do this to you. But our sign up for this conference hasn't been what we thought it was going to be. And we've decided to cancel the whole event. Again, God knows what he's doing. So I said, okay, no problem. That was Sunday. Monday, the pain in my body that I've been dealing with since January. My wife doesn't like the fact that I've been dealing with it since January because she didn't find out about it until two weeks ago. The pain that's been... Guys, you know what it's like. Us guys, we hate the doctor. And we think, it'll go away, you know? It'll go away. Well, the pain kept growing to the point that over the last few weeks, I wasn't, have been able to sleep going from the bed to the chair and the chair to the bed and back and forth. And it got so uncomfortable that I actually, and this is the shortened version. I'd already been to my doctor now for two weeks. So them doing all these different kinds of tests to find out they're giving me stuff for acid reflux and checking my blood and all this kind of stuff. And I kept telling them it's not acid reflux. It's not an ulcer. I've had those before. I know what those feel like. This is different. I mean, dealing with the fact that they, he scheduled a CT scan, but then the health insurance canceled it because they said it's not time to do that yet. Let's do some other tests first. You all have been through the same hoops. Yes. Monday, Sunday night, I get, find out that the conference is canceled. Monday, I go into my doctor's office and I said, look, you either do something right now or I'm just going to go straight to the emergency room and the health insurance is going to pay for that too. He left my, uh, where the, comp, uh, the exam room that I was in with him. He went and he made a phone call. He came back in and he said, drive straight to Vieira Hospital. They're waiting for you. They'll do a CT scan right now. That never happens. Yeah. 
So I go and I do the CT scan and finish the CT scan and drive to the last half of my son's baseball game for his senior night. Tuesday morning, 9 a.m., I get a phone call from the doctor's office. They found this mass behind my kidney. And they said, we need to do a PET scan now right away. Spend today prepping. Here are the instructions for prepping. Wednesday at 1.30, we're going to do a PET scan. My wife will tell you, she went with me as we went to the cancer place to do the PET scan. I walked in the front door and they said, are you James Johnson? I said, yes. They said, "Uh, is your health insurance still this? And is your address still this? Yes. Then keep walking. Go straight to the back. There'll be someone that'll come meet you out there by the PET scan door. We get to that place. I didn't hardly get my full weight down in the seat and the nurse comes out. Are you James Johnson? Yes. Come on this way. And they start hooking me up with the IV right then. I turned to her and I said, I'm half an hour early to my appointment. Why are you guys moving so fast? I've never seen the medical people do this. She said, we were told to rush this. So I take the PET scan, go through that. And I asked her afterwards, I said, how long till I get the results? And she said, well, it usually takes about 48 hours. You might know something by tomorrow afternoon, 1030 on Thursday morning. They call and say, get to your doctor's office. We got the results. And that's when we found out that I have lymphoma. And that mass was actually, like Titus said, my lymph nodes have gotten quite big. A lot of them in my abdomen. One of them, seven by nine centimeters. And if I understand the paperwork correctly, it grew between the CAT scan on Monday and the PET scan on Wednesday. And then it hit me. God knew two years ago, actually he knew before that. He knew two years ago that I would need this week to not be in Maryland or not to be anywhere. And he reserved that date of these week, these days two years ago and kept anybody from booking me during this time. And I've seen my God's hand as he's walked through this to the point that I go meet, I don't even, I haven't even met with a cancer doctor yet. That happens Tuesday morning at 9.15 and we'll begin the process of what the plan's going to be and how we're going to attack this. But my father has been showing me all the way through this, Jim, everything is right on schedule. You see, the problem John had, though, was this. He got God's schedule out of order. Was John right in the fact that Jesus is going to separate the wheat from the chaff? Was John right in the fact that he was going to be an unquenchable fire? Was John right in the fact that he was going to lay the axe to the root of the tree? Yes, he was correct in all of that. That is all true. But he got God's schedule out of order, and it gave him a bellyache. Let me talk to you for a second. As we're going to go into in a little bit more here in this message, I want to talk to you about the fact that many of us Christians, part of the reasons we have problems with Jesus is because we get his schedule out of order. There are promises in God's word, but many of them refer to what is to come. And we try to apply them in the here and the now, and he doesn't always do that. Go back to verse 6. Look closely at what Jesus says next. This is what I love to call the forgotten beatitude. Many of you, if I asked you about what the beatitudes were, you'd go to Matthew chapter 5, and blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty, and blessed are those who mourn. But look at this beatitude here in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Look at what Jesus says. Sorry, I said Hebrews. Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. He says, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Don't miss that. Jesus said, happy is the one who is not put off 
turned off by me. In other words, everything's right on schedule. Everything is on my schedule. And you'll be blessed if you're not offended when I run my world the way I want to run my world. And I put things in my order that I want to put them in order and not in your order. Folks, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus has been offending people for years. And we're not going to turn there, but in Mark, sorry, Romans chapter 9, verse 33, the Bible shows us that he offended his own nation. God laid in Zion a stumbling block and a rock of offense. And whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. But who was the rock of offense that was placed in Zion and the Jews rejected? Who was offended by Jesus? The nation of Israel. He offended his own nation. Oh, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 15, you'll see that he offended the Pharisees, the religious rulers. He had just finished teaching that it's not what comes into your body that makes you unclean, but what comes out. Because whatever comes out of your body, out of your mouth, it comes from your heart. And the disciples came to him in chapter 15, verse 12, and they said, uh, Jesus, don't you realize what you just said offended the Pharisees? And he said, let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. He actually offended his hometown. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 13. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Verses 53 through 58. And when Jesus had finished these parables... He went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And he said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. We see a little bit more of what the offense looks like now. When we get offended by Jesus, we stop believing. We stop trusting and we stop following You know, the Bible does say that when Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, that some seed fell on the rocky soil and it sprung up, fooled a lot of people, sure looked like salvation. But when trouble came, it withered because it had no root. You see, remember I told you earlier, if you're in Christ and you have doubts and you have struggles, it's okay. God still loves you. He's good with you. I love the fact that when Jesus meets Peter for the first time, he says, you are Simon. One day you will be Peter. I love that. You're Simon, but one day you're going to be a rock man. A little bit later on, when Jesus asked them the question, who do people say that I am? And they said all these different names. And then he turns to them and says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers and he says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And I love how Jesus responded. And he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood hasn't opened your eyes. By the way, Simon Johnson, just want to remind you of that. <laughs> Simon, son of John, Simon Johnson. Blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because... Flesh and blood hasn't opened your eyes, but my father's opened your eyes. And I, listen closely, he says, I say, you are Peter now. Yes, yes. When he made his profession of his faith in Jesus, he became that new creation. 
But interestingly enough, right before the cross, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus turns to Peter and he calls him by his old name again. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all his wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that when you go through this trial, you won't quit. Of course, Peter's response is bold and brash. He says, you don't know me. I don't know about the rest of these bums, but I'll die for you. And Jesus, listen closely to what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny you know me three times. Isn't that cool? When he points out that he was going to fail Jesus and he was going to doubt and he was going to waver, he was going to have a struggle, he was going to be offended for a brief period of time, he called him by his new name. Because for those of us who are in Christ, when we struggle and when we doubt, he's not mad. He's using it for our best. But listen to me. Some of you in this room, some of you are listening right now online, some of you aren't in Christ. You might have prayed a prayer. You might have told people you believe, but God knows your real heart. And the trials that come to all of us will show whether or not we're really in Christ. How we respond in the long run will determine. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended by me. Blessed are those who are not offended by how I run my world and the order and the schedule I've put in place, not your schedule or how you think I ought to be acting. Let me ask you a question. Can God heal me of this? Yes. Let me ask you another question. Do we know that he will? Good answer. Good answer. Because we're going to let the scripture speak when it comes to this thing of healing. Unfortunately, in this process, well, first off, fortunately, the response of people all around the country and parts of the world to this news through Facebook and whatever has been amazing. People have been praying for me. There are churches that are right now praying for me, and I thank God for all that's happening and the wonderful response. But I've also had a few responses where people think they've got God all figured out, and all you have to do is say these magic words, or I've already bound it because anything we bind in heaven will be, or bound on earth will be bound in heaven. And, and, well, let me take you to Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible doesn't teach that God heals everybody. Faith is not believing something so much that God has to do it. Faith is believing 100% in what God has said he would do. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32, look at what the Hebrew writer says. He's been talking about the hall of fame of faith, the men and women of faith throughout history and the Bible here. And he gets to chapter 11, verse 32, and he says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Amen. That's the kind of preaching I want to hear. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about the Hall of Fame of Faith. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were killed with the sword. Wait a minute, didn't we already see earlier that they, verse 34 says, they escaped the edge of the sword? But others were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, the ones who saw the miracles and the ones who didn't see the miracles, all of these, though commended through their faith, didn't receive what was promised since God had promised, provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, they were commended for their faith and some saw the miracle in this life and some did not. So is God able to heal? Yes, he's still healing people to this day. Will he? We don't know. And real faith says, you get to call the shots, Jesus. You've set the schedule for Jim Johnson's life. Does that mean we don't ask? No, the Bible teaches us. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Like Titus said, we're not going to be ashamed. We're going to boldly go to the throne of grace and ask for a healing. He's our daddy and he knows what's best and we come to him and he loves us. But if he knows what's best, he might have a plan for Jim Johnson that doesn't include healing. And listen to me, I'm okay with that. Hallelujah. Why am I not offended by Jesus because he's allowed this cancer in my life? Because in 1973, at eight years old, I gave him my life. I didn't just trust him for salvation. I didn't pray a prayer so I wouldn't go to hell and now I'll do what I want to do. I sincerely, at eight years old, gave Jesus my life. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, those of us who have done that no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for us. Amen. By the way, Jesus described John as the, of men born and women, he's the greatest. Yes. What happened to John in his prison? He was put to death. Oh, Peter was released, but he was also released from the exact same prison that a few days earlier James had been put to death in. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Now, before you answer, if you say yes to Jesus being Lord of your life, that means you've got to stop bossing him around. Because you can't call him Lord and then tell him what to do and get mad when he doesn't do it the way you want him to do it. How many of you are still kind of holding a grudge because you prayed and your mama died? You were faithful and he didn't do it the way you thought he ought to. Blessed is he or she who is not offended by Jesus. There's a song that we sing here once in a while when I'm here I've heard it I love the words to this song it's called as long as you are glorified it's written by a man named Mark, Mark Altrage listen to the words shall I take from your hand your blessings yet not welcome any pain shall I thank you for days of sunshine yet grumble in days of rain shall I love you in times of plenty then leave you in days of drought? Shall I trust when I reap a harvest, but when winter winds blow, then doubt? Are you good only when I prosper and true only when I'm filled? Are you king only when I'm carefree and God only when I'm well? 
You are good when I'm poor and needy. You are true when I'm parched and dry. You still reign in the deepest valley. You're still God in the darkest night. Oh, let your will be done in me. In your love, I will abide. Oh, I long for nothing else as long as you are glorified. Oh, by the way, do you know who prayed that prayer? Jesus. As he was right to go right before the cross, he said, Father, take it away. Nevertheless, not my will be done. And the father's answer was no to his request. Paul prayed that the thorn in his life, whatever that was, would be removed. He prayed three times and God said, no, my schedule for you is to leave it. And my power is going to be made known through your struggle for the rest of your life. Folks, I don't know what God's going to do. We're praying for healing and we believe he's able and we're hoping he does. But if he chooses not to, everything is right on schedule. What about you? Are you ready today to surrender fully to Jesus as Lord? That's what we're going to do this morning is our time of response. As I prayed over this, I really feel like God wants to challenge all of us to be willing to respond today and say, Jesus is Lord. Listen closely to what that means. When you say Jesus is Lord, some of you, he's been telling you, you need to surrender to him and give him your life for salvation. And you've never done it. Today, if you're willing to surrender that Jesus is Lord, you're going to come and you're going to pray with one of the pastors and you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. I'm giving him my life. I'm trusting him for my salvation. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. It's all his. Some of you have never been baptized like Jesus said. You believe and be baptized because you don't want to offend your mama or your daddy because you were baptized as a little baby. And now you know the Lord's talking to you about being baptized after your decision for Christ as an identification. Are you going to accept Jesus and receive Jesus as Lord or surrender to Jesus as Lord? Then be baptized and you need to come talk to somebody today and say what Jesus is telling me to do. I'm surrendering to him as Lord. Some of you maybe have been offended by Jesus Today's the day you may find out whether or not you're one of those people that just goes away because it wasn't real. Or you'll find out that today you're one of those people that he says, I've known you were coming back all along because you've been mine all along. Yeah, John the Baptist got offended by Jesus, but he finished fine. Peter was offended by Jesus, but he finished fine. Today could be a day when some of you who have been kind of upset with the Lord because of whatever he did or didn't do that you think he ought to do, today hear it from a guy that's got tumors in his body. I'm willing to say whatever he does with my life is fine, and I really am good with that. Can you say the same thing and respond the same way this morning? I'm going to ask you to stand as the pastors come on down to the front. I want to pray for us. And as we sing this morning, however, surrendering to Jesus as Lord, whatever that looks like to you, I'm going to ask that you do that this morning. Father, I thank you for this passage of scripture. I thank you that you show us the times when even John the Baptist has doubts. We all struggle in this life, but your word shows us that those who truly have been redeemed, have received your spirit, you hold on to us. And even though we may have a period or two where we question or we wander, you bring us back. And it's for real. 
The Lord also, you've shown us in your word that there are many who profess, but they don't possess. And the trials that come to their life just show that their faith isn't genuine. Lord, today, whatever surrendering to you as Lord means in our lives, may we come forward today in this time and just do it. I thank you for the fact that there are people who've been praying for me and my family and will continue. I thank you for how the body of Christ has reached out and responded in the way the body of Christ should. Lord, today, may we all continue just to walk forward with whatever happens to us in our lives, understanding that because we're in you and you have a perfect plan, everything's right on schedule. We can just keep right on going. May you be glorified by doing a miracle in my body. Or you may be glorified by how I respond to you saying no. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.